Hey everybody, welcome back for episode two of A Couple of Geeks. Um, this is a, another attempt. We've had so many technical difficulties and there's been like so many like things suddenly pop up in news this week and everything and it's been like, let's just re-record. Yep. So it, it's technically like episode four. For us. <laughs> yeah. For us. But yeah, anyway, there's been a lot going on. So... Death Stranding, first off, in the gaming world. Mm -hmm. The director's cut has released now, and it is beautiful. Um, it's native 4K version in quality mode, uh, and if you put like the ultra-wide on it, then you get no dips at all. Maybe on the mirror scene, which people that have played the game, they know what the mirror scene is. You look in a mirror, uh, and because it's like making two versions of you that run at the same time, that can slow it down by a couple of frames. Yeah, you can't but, see it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, very well done. Like Hideo Kojima, always amazing. Death Stranding with like new race cars and stuff in it and new weapons and all that. It is just great. Um, yeah, fresh. Yeah, fresh I've, start, I've completely restarted. I picked it up when I bought my PS5 on disc. And it's £5 to do the upgrade to the director's cut. Um, so it, it ended up costing me like 20 quid for the director's cut in total, like original game on this. And it is well worth the money. I got about halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through and I just went, no, I want to experience it again. Restart. And it's well worth it. Mm -hmm. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, even though I've done it all before, like at this sort of stage. So yeah, can recommend. Um, this week... Just to interject before we carry on with gaming, we're joined by John Charles, fantastic artist. Um, he's written and illustrated things like Spider-Man, um, where he has created characters in the Spider-Man universe. Um, he's responsible for some other ones that you will have heard of, uh, in a way. Um, and he's done work for 2000 AD for many years now. Um, he's got his own comic book series that we're going to talk about. So make sure to stick around for that. That's mm -hmm. coming up very shortly. Also in gaming news this week, um, we have uh, Nintendo Direct. That's that just appeared popped yesterday. Out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I hadn't been paying attention, and it just suddenly popped up. And Bayonetta three finally had a nice trailer. I'm a big, big fan of Bayonetta. Um, you can't see them, but there's like collector's edition stuff and whatnot over there, and oh, it's pretty. Um, I love Bayonetta. Have done right from the start. Had it back on the Xbox 360. I did have it. I think it was on the Genesis or something when I was a kid. I know it was like a little 16-bit game that I had that was Bayonetta, mm -hmm. and that's what it was inspired from. The Xbox 360 game, huge fan, and then it went across to Nintendo, and they did Bayonetta 2, and it was like, oh yes, um, and I've been eagerly awaiting Bayonetta 3, and. They've not been releasing anything about it. Finally, at this direct last night, Bayonetta 3 popped up, and I was really, really happy. It's big demons, it's witches, uh, it's guns, and it's comedy. Pretty, it's and it's, it's Yeah, it's really pretty, and it's really fun. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but there's serious gameplay there. Like you, You've got to be pretty skilled to manage it on its higher levels. And yeah, I'm eagerly awaiting that. That's got a 2022 release, and that's all we're told so far. Mm -hmm. um, 
in gaming, sort of, also at the Nintendo Direct, the Mario movie has sort of released its cast. It's, I think it's, um, I'm like, 99% sure it's an animated movie. And Chris be. Pratt <laughs> is going to be Mario. Chris Pratt. Now, I don't particularly like the guy in real life, but he's cool as Star-Lord. Um, but, yeah, having him as Mario, just, I don't get it. Like, for starters, Mario's meant to be Italian. Like, thickly Italian in the games. And, well, I mean, I know it's not whitewashing, because he's still white, but... Culturally, like, Mario isn't some, like, redneck-type American. And sorry, but Chris Pratt kind of is. Like, he's... I like hunting things just to kill them. I don't eat them. He's that guy, you know? That's why I don't like him in real life. And his accent doesn't really give off Italian vibes. Um, yeah, I I'm not too keen on that idea. Um, we'll wait and see. It might yeah, it might it might turn, it out, might turn out great. Yeah. Like I wasn't too keen on the idea of Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, and yeah, hold my hands up. Like really I, I was wrong. Like yeah, I love Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. It's still not the Deadpool we get in the comics, but it's damn good. It's damn good. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, so you can be surprised, but at the moment I'm not loving where this is going. Um, what else was that? There's a new Kirby's Dreamland coming. Mm -hmm. Always good. I like Kirby. Some more um, massive expansion for Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah, Monster Hunter Rise gets a big expansion Sun, summer 2022. Sunbreak. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that looks beautiful. Um, Castlevania has had a new collection come out, mm -hmm. which was the like Game Boy games and such. Um, Game Boy Advance games. Today, didn't it? Was it? Yeah, I think it was last night actually. Yeah. And um, so a couple of days ago, by the time you're listening to this. This goes out on the Saturday, and it was the Thursday night, I believe, when that came out. Mm -hmm. um, it's some of the games that were a bit more difficult to get on like newer consoles, and well worth checking out. Uh, Castlevania is another one of my passions. I'm happy. <laughs> I haven't picked it up yet. It'll be like a, a next week purchase for me on Switch. It is across on PS5 and Xbox, but Switch is where I'm going to be going for it. Um, what else is there? We had... There's, there's a lot going on, actually. There's not much in the way of movies. Freaky is finally out to buy. That um, was fun, that Yeah, was. we loved that. Yeah. We loved that. We rented that one, didn't we? <coughs> we did. Yeah. On streaming, we rented that one. Yeah, and it's a really funny movie. Um, really enjoyed it. Some great gory bits in it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, All but... I'll say is the <clears throat> table saw. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. But it, it's really fun. It's like Freaky Friday, you know, where the mom and the daughter switch place, I think it was. Yes. And then in this one, it's a young girl at school and a serial killer. I don't think she's a cheerleader. She's the bullied one at school, isn't she? I don't know. Yeah, she's Actually, not a cheerleader. Sure she's something like, with cheerleaders in it. Yeah, there's cheerleaders in it, but yeah. she's not a cheerleader. Um, yeah, she's like the one that's the outcast and everything at school. And she switches place with a, a serial killer and she suddenly becomes the cool one because the serial killer is like, oh, cool clothes and all this. And mm. like, yeah, trying to fit in as a teenage girl and he makes her cool. Anyway, 
well worth watching, really funny. Also a great bit of horror. Mm, um, it, good. it reminds me very much of like the 80s style horrors, like Charles Play and stuff. Um, yeah, it does. For how they like switch plays and like the effects and stuff I in it. I think it's probably both sides of it, the, the horror side of it because of the subject matter, but mm -hmm. also because they did the body swap thing and it's yeah, so, exactly. as you mean, like Freaky Friday. Yeah, it, it really the, is. Anytime they do Freaky Friday, it feels like an 80s movie. Yeah. It just does. And it, it's really well done. It's really, it. really fun, yeah. I liked it. It was one of those movies where I expected like Tom Savini to pop up. Yes. You know? I wonder that that would have been... Uh, yeah. That would have fit in with it. It really would. Um, I'm trying to think what else is going on. You've had the new trailer for um, Halloween. Halloween Kills. Ooh, very mm -hmm. pretty. We As like you can see, that. that trailer went down well. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Might have watched that a few times now. Um, <laughs> I, I like the original Halloween. I didn't like any of the sequels. They, they always sort of ruined it for me. It made me not enjoy the first movie as much. Um, and then, like, we had... Halloween in 2018, 2019, whenever it was, mm -hmm. with Jamie Lee Curtis again, and it was like, this is good. Yeah. And to be honest, I thought they'd kind of wrapped it up really well at the end. I was like, I'm not expecting, because let's face it, Jamie Lee Curtis is getting on now. Um, I didn't think they'd be doing another one. But then they announced Halloween Kills, and we finally got a trailer, and it is, even the trailer is like, Chef's kiss, you know. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's a very well done. Yeah. Advert. It's great. Um, looking forward to that. That's end of October. Yeah. Um, Shang Chi. Speaking of, that's coming to Disney Plus. I'm not sure whether it's going to be premiere access or any of that, mm. but it's currently out in cinemas. And Shang Chi and the Ten Rings is coming out November 26th, I believe it is. We've got a date for now. Um, looking forward to seeing that. I, I've been dying to watch it. Of course, we can't go to the cinema yep. um, due to my health issues, so we rely on the streaming. We rely on things like streaming and like we, we do ordering the Blu-rays, like the 4K Blu-rays, to get sent to the house. Mm -hmm. But streaming on things like Disney, it's a great way to watch the movie for little extra cost. First, um, I'm not sure I'd buy it on Premiere Access necessarily, personally, just because it's like twenty quid to rent it then mm. and. And then you've got the. If, so if you it's then a film enjoy you know it. you're pretty much going to want to buy anyway. Yeah, if it's good, I'm going to want to buy it. So it doesn't make sense yeah. to spend £20 just to rent it. And then it's going to be like £30 for the disc. So you're spending 50 quid. It's a lot of money. Um, so yeah, that's coming anyway. Um, there's, there's a lot going on at the moment. There's a load of new comics that are popping up everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um too many to really get into. Like I said, we've got the interview as well with John Charles coming up in a moment. I don't want to spend too much time in the intro, of course. And yeah. then you guys are like, oh, I haven't got time to do the interview now. So I think we'll get on with that. Mm -hmm. um, oh, there is one more thing. Elvira. Yes, 27th. The lovely Elvira, September. No, October 27th. September 27th. Se September 27th, sorry. On Shudder, she's doing um, like a... She used to... How Elvira became a thing was she hosted horror movies um, way back when. And she's doing a hosting of several horror movies yeah. for the Shudder Network. Three or four main features. Yeah. And now Shudder, it's a streaming site for horror, um, streaming platform for horror. And it's like three ninety nine a month, like English pounds. Yeah. I'm not sure how much it is in dollars, probably about $5. And 
well worth it. You've got loads of great content on there, both old and new, new series like that are specifically original for that. Um, there's some great documentaries that are specifically for that again, like with Tom Savini and all the horror greats, Greg Nicotero, everyone. Um, talking about how they got into the industry, what they do in the industry, how they see the industry going. Well worth checking out if you're into horror. Um, and I think you can get a free trial for Shudder. Um, I'm sure it's a seven-day trial. It, there's a seven-day trial. I'm pretty sure they, they occasionally do like a three-month trial as or, well. Or three months for 99p. Yeah, 99p like a month for three do. months, something. Um, yeah. Well worth checking out. If you like classic horror movies, yes. If you like new horror movies, yes, because they've got a whole range. And it's one that we use quite regularly. Was it Shudder that Creepshow is on as well? Yeah, yeah, they've got two yeah. new seasons of Creepshow, another season about to come out. And it's brilliant. It, it's just like the original Creepshow, yeah. um, but many episodes with some great stars. Stars that you know and love. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well worth checking out. So anyway, we're going to leave you to enjoy this interview. We're going to be back for the outro, yeah. to, just to say goodbye, any like final thoughts, and to let you know what's coming up in future episodes. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Welcome, John Charles. How do you do? Good, sir. I'm all right. Thank you very much, Simon. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Very good. It's nice to be talking to you again. It's been quite a while, actually. Yeah, well, I haven't been face-to-face -face with you for quite a long time because of COVID. No. Uh, it's a very long time now, actually, isn't it? It's two two years, three years, is it? Yeah, we had a nice drink there, didn't we? We did indeed. It, it was very, very nice. I had Guinness. And I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure I was on lager, but there we are. <laughs> I, we won't mention that. Lager, it just doesn't agree with me. I, I can drink like the IPAs and stuff, um, but actual like lager on a pulp, just no. It, that and I do not agree. <laughs> I have like one and that's it. I'm done. Um, Guinness, out the ears, honestly. It's fine. Just keep it coming. But lager, it's a no from me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, so what have you been up to in your life? You've got Techno Freak, 2008 AD. You've got a yeah. number of things on the go. You're a busy, busy man. Um, I'll I like to keep you. busy, yes. It's better than being bored. It's uh, it's, I'm, it's I'm fantastic. for 2008 AD. Sorry? I'm still colouring for 2000 AD. I've been doing that for around about four and a half to five years. Excellent. Prior to that, I used to colour for Panini on Spider-Man and this, that and the other Marvel heroes and stuff. Unfortunately, the Americans took all the work away, so we, we lost that, which isn't... Yeah, that was unfortunate. I mean, I remember when Marvel was with Panini over here, actually, um, which was... It was odd when I found that out because I, I'd submitted some stuff and that's how I got doing the models for them, design concepts and such, um, which is going back almost 15 years. And um, yeah, when I found out it was Panini that they did it with, I was like, what? <laughs> well, they've got the European license. I have here a Panini comic, which I wrote the story for. Oh, wow. With my friend Barry May and it was illustrated by Andy Tom. I'll show you the first page it's quite bizarre actually because we decided we wanted a an, an upshot of the sentinels and he gave us a downshot but it's absolutely brilliant so i'm not going to complain it looks great unfortunately because skype's got the background set to um blur we only get to see the sentinel on that we don't get the full image but it does okay. look, it 
send me like a photo of it after I'll edit it in so the viewers can uh, take a look if uh, yeah, not, I can scan that for you. Thank you. Mm. Hey, it looks a fantastic page there. Yeah, I was proud um, to get to write Spider-Man. You know, it's a very unusual thing to get to do. It is. It is. Not many people can say that. You invented a character for that, didn't you? Technically. Only technically, yes. Um, <laughs> because it's set on an alternative Earth, any character who's newly appeared in that issue, so people like Nightcrawler, Magneto, various, we're actually credited with creating them. That's which, impressive. And it, who, who were you actually credited with for that? I can't remember to be honest. It's several characters. Really? Yeah. We actually made a mistake. We said that um, the Juggernaut was Professor X's brother-in-law or something, or brother. Well, he and is, he isn't. <laughs> he is technically in um, a number of the universes. Oh right. Yeah. Um, I think even in the the like cinematic universe, like X Men movies, he's counted as being the brother um, technically. Oh right, maybe we weren't as far wrong as I thought then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was uh, it was a definite. Um, it, it's prop, it's cropped up more than once. It's not just in uh, in your storyline that that's happened, which is really cool. Mm. Maybe you started it off actually. I can't remember. I mean, we just got lucky and we made a mistake. So what can I say? <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Like, that, that's to be fair, be Barry and I, I suspect, are the only people on the planet who can claim to have made their writing debut with Spider-Man and the X-Men. Yes, that is pretty um, high up there, really, when you consider it. Especially for an English artist, it's more difficult for the English artists, I find, to actually break into the whole Marvel thing. Mm. Um, so it's it's quite a claim to be able to make, isn't it, that one? Yeah, I mean, I was working for them as a colourist at the time, and I had to sort of parlay that into writing. So right. I, sent, I sent in a few sample scripts that the editor liked, Ed Hammond, and um, he, he phoned me up and said, could you write a story with Spider-Man and the X-Men? I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he started telling me which characters were in the new movie because he wanted it to tie in with, I think it was X-Men 2. Can't right. Sure. Um, and I was like, there's millions of characters in this movie. Can we make it a two-parter? And he said, yeah. And I talked about it a bit more. He went, do you want to make it a three-parter? So I'm like, yeah, oh, wow. fine. <sighs> so you, you actually got quite uh, well established there then, really. You've got quite a few issues to it. Well, it was cool, but they never let us write for them again, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Can't win them all. Did you enjoy your time with that? Do you think it's something you'd uh, do again, given the chance? I, I love writing. I mean, I write co-write Technofreak with my friend Barry May. Yeah. Um, we get together and hash out the plot and stuff like that, and... I tend to do the first draft, and then Barry comes in with some sparkling dialogue at the end. So yeah, it's, um, it's a nice um, process working together because you've not just got one set of ideas; you've got two people's inputs, so things change. And also, there's a sort of element of editing along the way. Like Barry won't let me get away with anything that's stupid, you know. <laughs> Even though Techno Freak is fairly stupid, it's meant to be a it, comedy. So it's got a definite British wit to it. I'll say that. Um, but in the very it's quite tame. Like I've seen a lot of British comics that go over the top with it. And I can happily say Techno Freak doesn't do that. Um, much like some of the humour in 2000 AD and those sort of style comics, it's uh, it, it's not over the top. It's uh, more tongue in cheek. Yeah, we like to think it's sort of sardonic or something like that. But yes. It yeah. is quite strange, actually, because the standout character in Techno Freak, according to most people, is Maurice, the robot cat. Uh-huh. And he was invented as an afterthought. I had the main character of Technofreak for years. 
And um, he mutated over time. At one point, he was going to be a monster. Then he was going to be this. Then he was going to be that. It was going to be a super team called Technifix. Okay. That, that never materialised, although they may still exist soon. I was going to ask that, actually. Do you think, <laughs> do, you um, think um, do, you, do you think we'll see the uh, mutated form at any point appear in the comics? There is an intention to bring them in, yes. That would be fantastic. I've seen that one. I know that you've included it. Um, I think in the back of one of the issues, actually, was it issue one? Possibly, yeah. Can't and uh, I will put up a, a picture of that for the viewers. And um, yeah. To bang on about Maurice for a minute, because I actually find him quite irritating. <laughs> He's like, people love his wit and stuff, and he keeps narrating to the audience in a Deadpool style. Yes, it's very And then it's like, as a writer, it's become quite irritating because every time he walks into a scene, he steals the scene. He does. He, he very much steals the show. I will mm -hmm. say that for Maurice. Um, but again, in a really fun way, um, as for us readers at least. I know that like he was one of the characters that instantly made me go, like, I need to read more of this. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like the issue anyway. I, I started with issue one, as you know. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it anyway. But then like the little bits with Maurice and then he's issue two, I think he... he sort of rounded himself out even more and uh yeah he's a lovable rogue <laughs> for a robot yeah, cat, it's cool um, at one point i was tempted to do a spin-off comic with just maurice but then i thought I'd better, i thought better of it you know i really think that would work at least maybe as a web comic or something um maybe set up a patreon or something like that for techno freak and have uh, a little web comic for the uh patreons you know, yeah, not not impossible. Yeah, it, it'd be worth it. Like I'd I'd love to read something like that for a couple of quid a month kind of thing. By the way, listeners, I've got a patron as John Charles, and I've only got one patron at the moment. So if you want to sponsor me, you're more than welcome. I, I shall do. What's uh, what's the details for that? Will you be willing to share us a link that we can add to the description? Um, we might have to look that up and add, add it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. We can, like I say, we'll add that into the um, description on everything and. We'll get that shared, so uh, hopefully you'll get a few more patrons. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> well worth doing. So how did Technofreak come about in the first place anyway? Like, what was the original inspiration for that one? It was a poster. that I was living in Leicester at the time, and there was I was actually doing posters for a sort of rave DJ guy. Okay. And I, I didn't do this particular poster. I saw it on a wall, and it said Technofreak, and it was to do with techno music. Yeah. And I thought, I'm having that. That is a brilliant word. It's a good name, isn't it? And I, so I wrote it down in my sketchbook. I started designing logos for it. Then I started designing characters to go with it. The first of which were these techno freaks, a team of superheroes. Yeah. Um, but that it kind of seemed too complicated and a bit too obvious as well. Yes. So okay. I, over time, John Sherlock mutated into this sort of drunken private eye who's actually fairly useless. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone else seems to do it for him. He does. He uses Neville as a thug. I mean, it's, in a way, it's like Doctor Who. He's not really a physical character. Yes. So if there's any fighting to be done, then someone else has got to do it. Exactly. Every time. Um, I think that's what makes John Sherlock sort of that uh, that bit more lovable because you, you sort of you're almost waiting for him to cock up. Basically, mm. <laughs> you're you're reading along and you're like, okay, it's gonna the defecation shall hit the oscillation, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yeah everyone else is sort of in on it uh getting their fists going and uh 
and John's sort of there, like, almost wondering what's going on, you know, like, trying to miss the punches almost. Yeah. Well, he's actually named himself over, after Sherlock Holmes quite deliberately because he thinks he's super clever. Right. A computer implanted in his head and everything. But it, in fact, he's fairly inept. And um, I, I actually considered it and I thought, I'm not clever enough to write Sherlock Holmes. Arthur Conan Doyle was clever enough to write Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Maybe Mark Gattis is as well, but I'm not that clever. <laughs> so I have to write what I can what I can do, you know, so. Of course. Mm. It's it's like I say, there's a, a definite style and humour to it. I actually, just to interject, I did actually um, do some artwork for, was it issue three? That, um, yeah, you've got a pin up in issue three, I think. Yeah, I, I did a few different ones um, just to tell the fans. And um, like we, we did a Facebook poll to see which one would get inserted into the comic. And um, like, that's the one, I will put it on high res, if you remember. Oh, yes, I've changed the curtain to green snake. <laughs> Loretta and Maurice the cat playing along and then I'd done um, Loretta in the shower with Maurice if I can ever get it to load um, which was another popular one and I'd done a couple more but that was the two that I'd um, bothered to paint up because they were the popular ones in the voters for the voters I should say um, and yeah it, it, as I said there's a definite style for Techno Freak and I think it, it allows it to stand out um, above other British comics at the moment. Um, a lot of British comics at the moment, they're quite laid back, I suppose. Whereas Technofreak's quite loud, but in a, a really nice way. Um, well, it's, it's, quite... it's meant to be fun, really. That's all it... I yeah, mean, exactly. I, what I would like to say is we're very lucky to have Tom Newell as artist. Yes, he I actually some... taught Tom when he was a student at Staffordshire University. Right. I, I remember him walking in the door for his interview. Well, it was just a look around, I think. Right. And he was actually quite annoyed because he wanted to see the boss and he landed up with me. But I really advocated for him, I think. And um, the guy was a genius. He was good enough to work for 2000 AD when he walked in the door. And then he did three years training. Yeah. So... Um, um, me and Tom were sat in the bar one day. I'm sorry, there'll be a few mentions of bars during this interview. All right. Um, and uh, Tom says to me, you know your Technofreak stuff, which you'd seen in my sketch for us. He says, you're never going to get it finished, John. I can tell. You just aren't up to doing all the pages. And he said, but I am. And he said, I'll do it for you. And I just went, all right, then. And it's gone from there. Now we've got, well, issue four is damn near finished. We've got four pages left to colour. Then that's, the lettering needs doing, and then it's finished. That's fairly close. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure when it's going to be out because um, we've got the deal with the American publisher, American Mythology, now, which is is great, you know, because we're getting published in America. Yeah. And I may just let them publish issue four. It depends how things pan out. I might not do a Sunday lunch comics edition. Okay. But I might. I don't know yet. It's 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 in the balance. Yeah. It would be a shame not to have it in the collection. Um, for like the the UK readers that have been collecting the physicals, um, I know that some of us are quite. We need that label, you know. <laughs> well, um, there's also the possibility of doing a graphic novel at one point because we have got enough material now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I I mentally debated not publishing issue four and just publishing the graphic with the first four in. Right. But it seems a bit cheeky because you're kind of making people buy stuff again. But, uh, yeah, I get you. Well, I mean, I know that like especially if it was a hardback graphic novel. Um, fans like myself that like collecting, 
we'd be happy to sort of buy it again and have that collection. Um, mm -hmm. I know that if a graphic novel does turn up, even if I've already got all the issues that are in it, I'd be buying it um, just to have on the shelf, especially mm -hmm. if it's signed by a certain friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, Frank Miller. But, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like certain people, they can be, be very uh, begrudging of buying a game. So you do have to be careful and cautious with that. Uh, of course, what you could do is sort of, again, a, a digital only version um, for issue four, like print, graphic novel, digital, pay a couple of quid and you can read it online and still get the graphic novel uh, for the physical. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. Yeah, there's a few ways to go around it. Um, so how did you get started with comics? Where did that come from? Um, I was 12 and I had hay fever and so when the summer rolled around I used to have to stay in so my mum would go out and buy me comics um, oh, cool. and I distinctly remember her bringing a Spider-Man comic home that had Mysterio in it and I was a bit annoyed because I was a DC fan and I didn't really want a Spider-Man comic <laughs> which is ironic because <laughs> I've now drawn Spider-Man for money and written him for money but uh, um yeah, it was, uh, and I, I got the bug, and uh, my friend Barry, I think, was into comics before I was. We were, we were school friends since we were sort of five or eight or something. I'm not even sure it's in the dim, distant past. Right. Um, and he, he used to buy comics, and I think he got me into them, and then it became an addiction for me, more so than him. Yeah. So I would actually keep a diary of when the comics were coming into the spinner racks in all the newsagents in Guildford. And I knew better than the news agents did when they were get, going to get a delivery. That's fantastic. This is the age of about 14 to 16. I so think I've been into comics since I was around 12. It just became a real addiction. I would spend, I worked as a paper boy. And so we had DC comics in our shop. Hmm. So I would consistently be there first. And I was getting stuff by Neil Adams and Jack Kirby in the 70s, you know. Excellent. Absolute, some of which I've still got. You know, not all of them, unfortunately, but I actually nice. collect. I used to love Neil Adams and still do. Yeah. But I, I actually kind of, I used to have a friend who was really into Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. And we used to have these debates during which I would poo-poo Jack Kirby, but I actually begin to think he's right now. Because <laughs> Kirby just created so much stuff. And it, yeah. it's, the work is so powerful. It, it's very vivid, isn't it? it it's very mm -hmm. strong imagery. Um and like the characters that he did create, let's face it, they've been lasting, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look at something like Darkseid. And I mean, DC have always had a problem with the new gods and knowing what to yeah. do with them. Yeah. But they are they are amazing characters. And the, the, the costume designs for a start are just the costume, the whole um, the whole physicality with Darkseid. It's an incredible design. Um, and like the powers that he's got and. The mystique that comes along with that character as well, like despite the fact that you see everything about him, it's it's very like because of the costume and how it's done, it instantly makes you think there's more to him. Mm. Um, yeah, and I don't see him as a physical character. To me, he kind of stands there with his arms behind his back, just yeah. an overlord. You know, he's the boss. But and, you have got those ones where he gets really into his fights, and mm. like he just ripping everyone apart basically he's uh he's he's overly strong mm. uh, like superman level you know um which has worked out well in uh, in some issues <laughs> mm. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess it's gone down that road. I'm thinking of the really early Kirby stuff. I don't think he ever had a fight in the early stuff, but maybe he did. I might be wrong. I'm not sure. You know, I haven't read all of the Kirby ones, unfortunately, um, just because they've only recently started to go digital, actually. Mm. Um, and, of course, finding the originals isn't necessarily easy, in this day and age at least. Mm. It was years ago, but, of course, like not all of us had the money back years ago when they were available. Well, I've uh, got lucky over the years. I've got some of my new gods for a pound as back issues. So. Oh, sacrilege. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Not fair. I mean... I, I, I saw know. them and I just jumped on them. I'm like, uh, they're not going anywhere but to my house, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I mean... So how did the 2000 AD thing start for you? Um, I applied, basically. I'd, I'd worked for Panini, and I'll tell you how the Panini thing started. The artist on Spider-Man, John Howard, who we became good friends, um, phoned me up one day, and I was actually unemployed and fairly down, mm-hmm. not really doing anything. And he said, could you do... You're a, you're a good colourist, John. He'd seen some of my pictures I'd done in the past. And he said, could you colour me on Spider-Man? I'm like... So I, I auditioned for it. I had to do jump through a couple of hoops. Um, and I got it. You know, pretty soon I was colouring Spider-Man for Panini, and it was great. That's fantastic. Um, I eventually, when they did Marvel Heroes, I actually started drawing for them as well. I did a Defenders strip and a Spider-Man one, which I've got a picture of. Um, I think you've got it, Simon, so you can show that. Let's take a look. Um, I believe I've seen it. Let me just... Uh... Go through and find that one. So I was just, I was just reading technically. <laughs> Would that be? Uh, let's. That's the one. Yeah, Spider-Man uh, Shang Chi. Yep. Who's very current? <laughs> yes, actually, um, November twenty-sixth, I believe, it comes to streaming currently in cinemas in the UK. Mm. Um, I'm not sure whether you'll have to pay for the Disney premiere on that one. Leave it with me, I'll let you know. <laughs> but yeah, November 26th, I'm sure that that one comes up. Mm. That's a nice strip. Very bold, very colourful. Mm. Yeah, I did the colouring as well. So. Okay, cool. I, I think it was inked by Julian Huguenot-Bet. I might be wrong. I, I think, though, he was my main inker back then on the Panini days. Yes. Really stylish inker. Um, so, yes, yeah, well, so I, I got into Panini and then... That kind of fell apart and I needed more work. So I basically applied to 2008 and said, look, I'm a colourist. I've got a track record. I can do this. Yeah. And they um, eventually gave me a try on Sinister Dexter, which I had a four and a half year run on. So um, I'm fairly pleased. you know. And uh, yeah. I've, I've coloured Judge Dredd along the way, which really makes me happy. I mean, yeah. people ask me who my favourite character is and it is Dredd. <laughs> because for me, he makes sense. He's a lawman with a gun who shoots people. Yeah. Um, whereas a character like Batman, who everybody loves, I, I feel is a bit tapped out, personally. I don't know. I mean, what I like about Batman, he's he's just a guy. Um, like, Dread, he does almost have a sort of superpower prowess around him, if you get me. Like, he, some of the things that he faces and gets away with, you're like, no mortal man, you know? Mm. Uh, which the same can be said for Batman, but I suppose to be fair, they've got that in common. They're both human, aren't they? And exactly. I mean, I don't dislike Batman. Don't get me wrong. It's just no. I've read so many Batman stories; it's untrue. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I always feel like if anyone had any sense, they'd just shoot them in the face and that's it. They'd be dead, didn't they? I think they tried and like there's always the shark repellent spray and everything. You know? <laughs> there's always an excuse as to why he doesn't die. Um, and that does get a bit old, let's face it. Uh, it gets a bit tiring. But at the same time, Batman's probably one of the, like for the American comics, one of the most relatable heroes because as i say he's just a man um whereas like the likes of superman and whatnot i know a lot of people they can't read it because it's it's too well he's immune to everything what do you do yeah you know? i mean that uh, character's but, mutated over the years in some ways doesn't he he used to be this boy scout goody two-shoes who was morally right all the time exactly which i loved growing up i actually liked the morality in comics in the 60s and 70s you know yeah um, you know, the heroes won, the bad guys didn't. Mm. Exactly. I thought that that was like, I grew up with that sort of thing. Yes, like at a later date, and I was reading the older issues, but I still liked that it was a very clear, like black and white, not art, but it was a black and white sort of thing of the bad guys are bad and they lose, and the good guys, they stand for what's right and they win. Mm. Um, and that's been lost in a lot of comics now. Like, uh, for Iron Iron Man, for example, um, with the whole drinking and his personal demons and whatnot, and making him out to be quite dark. Mm. You know, it's very real and it's relatable and they're real world problems that, to be fair, they need addressing. And I think it helps to address them in such a way. Mm. But at the same time, like you've lost that Boy Scout. So... Yeah, well, I actually feel blessed that I've lived through a period where comics have grown up. Yeah. Is that they actually kind of grew up with me. You know, you had, yeah. like, Watchmen in the 80s and Dark Knight Returns, and I was there for all of that stuff coming out. That's and I remember seeing the first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and like an idiot, I didn't buy one. <laughs> I think um, a lot of people can say and, that. Guy. And that was everywhere at the time. It was a really yeah. big comic, you know. Yeah. And... um so, yeah, I mean, in, um, in a way, I feel blessed that things have changed. But then I quite liked Alan Moore's stance with his ABC comics when he went back to yeah. making comics fun again. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to do with Technofreak, in a way. I equate it to the Fantastic Four, to some extent, the early ones. I don't know what you mean. Without being too big-headed. I'm not Jack Kirby or Stan Lee. I know that. <laughs> um, Maybe one day. But, but we want a sense of fun. And people say, people have said to me, oh, what's the story out? Where are you going with this? And there are ideas for the future that are written down. Of course. But there aren't any story arcs. We make it up as we go along. We, we invented one story that we've never used yet that just came up. And it creates a whole new character, um, you know, spin potential spin-off character. Okay. I won't name her for technical reasons. <laughs> um, and that has never been used, but the script exists. And That's it's a question of time and effort, you know, because these things, I mean, historically, it's taken us a year to get any given issue of Technofreak out. That's it, because uh, you've got all the projects on, on the go that are paying the bills, essentially. So I suppose Technofreak's almost like a side project at the moment in some respects. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a huge element of vanity about it. I just want people to go, yeah, that John Charles, he's good. He's got something to offer, isn't it? Of course, yeah, you don't want to rush it and it look like, or read like a bad issue you know mm. so well, you've done a number of covers now um I, I think idw 2000 ad and of course 
techno freak. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> comics. Well, I've coloured the techno freak covers, but yes. Um, what was your first cover? Um, and how did it come about? I'm not entirely sure because I'm so old and I'm getting forgetful. I suspect it was Antarctic Press for, for a guy called Kev Gunstone, who's a writer friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he still writes a lot of things at the moment. I, I would name drop his latest project if I could remember what it was called. Um, oh. Sorry, Kev. Um, but yeah, I met Kev in a queue to see an editor called Scott Dumbier at right. the convention. And um, we eventually got to see Scott Dumbier and nothing came of that. But yeah. me and Kev became friends and we started working together. He got a, a gig at Antarctic Press on Warrior Number Gantia. Excellent. So I suspect, thinking about it, my first cover was Warrior Number Gantia Number One, which if you haven't got, I can send to you. Yeah, please do. Um, I've got one here, which is Warrior Number Gantia Number Two. Oh, excellent. Uh, again, I can send you that if that's going to help. Yes, please. Um, yeah, I then. Oh, I remember the story that goes with the 2008 cover. It's actually quite amusing to me. <laughs> I went to the, I think it was the last ever UCAC and it was in Manchester. Right. And I went there fully intending to stay the night in a hotel. Mm-hmm. When I got to my hotel on the Saturday night, it was a grotty pub in a very, very rundown area. And the taxi driver said, you don't want to stay here, mate. Oh, no. And I had a nice leather jacket on. So I said to him, well, can you take me to the station then? I'll go home. Yeah. So I went home and wound up having a drink with my girlfriend that night. Gets to like five o'clock in the morning. I wake up thinking, I'm supposed to be in Manchester. This is my big chance to meet an American editor and sell an image I had of of, um, Transmetropolitan. Yeah. And the editor for that, Stuart Moore, was actually there. So I got in my car and from Leicester, I drove back to Manchester and parked up and went to the car really early in the morning. At which point I couldn't speak to Stuart Moore because he was busy. Oh, no. Um, but I managed to speak to David Bishop, the then editor of 2008. Right. Yeah. He was having his breakfast and I, I sort of cheekily said, could I have a word? And he's like, yeah, sit down. Oh, excellent. Showed him my portfolio. He, I had one picture in it that he liked. The rest of them were a bit so-so. Yes. And he said, I'll I'll give you a chance. We'll we'll give you a gig. It'll be a pin-up or a cover, depending on how well you do on it. And it did become a first cover featuring Sinister Dexter, well, Finnegan Sinister of Sinister Dexter. And I'm really proud of it, to be honest. um, It took me two weeks, and I did it with a mouse on a Mac. I didn't have a graphics tablet, so I was flicking the mouse to do lines. Now, I've, I've done that. Um, I have had to do that when I was very first starting, and it is a pain in the nutsack. <laughs> it probably didn't take me literally two whole weeks. I was working as a lecturer at the time, so I probably had other things to do during the process. But Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, David Bishop really seemed to take to me. We used to have really nice chats on the phone, although I was a bit scared to talk to him for fear of losing my job. You know? <laughs> um, but he was nice to me. He... he, he he seemed to be in my corner and that was that was good looking back you know yeah it definitely helps to have that feeling about who you're working with or for um (laughs) especially in the business that you're in um because it's art is of course really subjective even when you're being asked to do a specific thing for art you've always got at least in my opinion you've always got that feeling of what if they don't like it Mm. Uh, and so if you've got the person batting for you that you're sending it to, essentially, you know that at least you're going to have a bit of back and forth. They're not just going to go, no, I don't like it. Someone else, please. Mm. 
No, uh, I mean, there was an some of my covers did go back and forth quite a lot, and I, I was yeah. being asked to change things. But you learn as a, re a freelance artist, you, they're the boss. You know, if they want you to change it, change it, you know. Yeah. And they, they probably know better than you do, so, you know, sort it. That's it. I learned that with Pat. Like, he and I, when I was on Space Warp, we were going back and forth on some things, and I was like, well, Pat knows best. Okay, yeah, I'll just do it. In some cases, I did go, let me just try it this way and see what you think and he turned around and went actually i like that and ended up changing elements of the script and whatnot because of how we liked the artwork that i come out with um but for the most part if he said no it was like okay we'll move along mm. um and i think that's as you say that's exactly how you've got to be especially as a freelance artist mm. um otherwise the work's just going to go elsewhere mm. like maybe you'll finish on that project but you might not get the next one. Mm. And um, my 2008 career grew as well. David left and um, Andy Diggle took over as editor. Yeah. Again, one of my images, which has never seen print, it's this weird character with lumps in his head, which is very similar to Techno Freak in some ways. Is it a dark bluish sort of colour? It's got a background that's sort of turquoise. Yeah, you may yeah. have seen it. I'll send it to you if you haven't got it. Um, yeah. And it, it became a character called Andy Wok Smooge which Mike Carey created the character. Right. Uh, and again, that's a funny one, because I'd worked with Mike back in the day when he wasn't Mike Carey. He, well, he was called Mike Carey, but he yeah. wasn't as famous as he is now. And then um, right. he got to write this Future Shock for me, which I thought was a really satisfying Future Shock. I find some Future Shocks don't work. And Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think this one did. And to be honest, I had a hand in that, bigging myself up. I remember Mike phoning me up and saying, what did you think of the script? I said, well, I liked it, but I thought the ending was a bit meh. A bit low, yeah. And he said, I'll, I'll rewrite it. And he rewrote the ending, and it was a much better story for me. Excellent. You mm. see, again, it's that back and forth. Yeah, and it can be very difficult when you're professional as well, because yeah. you'll get people who want to work with you but have no money and don't yeah. want to pay you anything. Yeah. You're trying to feed yourself. You know, you, I mean, I, I, as much as I love comics, mm -hmm. I like to get some money in as well. <laughs> exactly. We've all got bills to pay. And mm. um, uh, that was one of the issues that I've had in the past. Sort of people want you to do work for them. They want your work. And you say sort of maybe a page price or something. And they go, I can't afford that. And you go, well, what can you afford? And it's literally like a tenth of <laughs> your budget. And it's like, I, I can't do that. I've, I've got bills to pay. I need to pay sort of, I need to have this amount coming in for the amount of time that's on it. And mm. a lot of the time, I don't think people really appreciate the amount of time that a page can take. Mm. I think that's part of the issue. Um, so they go, I've got this number in mind and it, it can be so far off because they don't know how it works. There's no sort of meeting in the no. middle. Um, I'm, I'm willing to bend, you know, if, if I think a project's interesting, I'm happy to have a go at it. Yes. But sometimes you can end up putting hours and hours and hours of work into something and there's just not enough money in it for you, you know. Exactly, you're going to get nothing out of it. It is just um, for the enjoyment of the project and you can only do that so often. Um, if you're not sort of uh, bringing in a decent amount of money elsewhere, you can't afford to just keep on doing things just for the enjoyment factor. Mm. No, I mean, I always, I've said to people, I mean, I've taught comic art at Staffs University and... I always try to be honest with people. I think it's the only way to go. And I, yeah. I tell people that it's a hard road to travel. Of course, yeah. But it certainly has been for me. I've 
you know, I, I don't make a fortune. I don't think I ever will, you know. There's, there's always time. I mean, now that Technofreak's taking off in the States as well, hopefully that will uh, just sort of start to get the ball rolling even further for you, especially since it's a, a different company that's publishing. And as you said, maybe they can be the publishers and that would be the one that you see in the UK as well. Mm. Um, that could lead to better things. And we hope it does because Technofreak's a fantastic uh, little comic book. It's well worth reading. Well, I think the name alone is worth money. Yes. Yes. You know, and I just nicked it off a poster. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, I think there's some meat there, and I mean, I would, yeah. I would absolutely love to see a Techno Freak movie, you know, but that's fine. This guy, and I'm well aware of that. And I'm enjoying making the comics. You know, I, yeah. I love making Techno Freak. Whenever I'm working on Techno Freak, I'm happy. You know, it's it's good. And that's what it's all about because I know that Techno Freak it does sort of pay some of the bills for you at least, and so. If you're enjoying it as well, that that's the key thing. Um, especially with comics, like you, you often get jobs to pay the bills, from what I can hear, that there may not be exactly what you're happy doing. Well, it's that's funny. I mean, I I started out in life fully intending to be a comic book artist, right? And I became a comic book colorist, and it's quite odd because. Back in the day at school, when I used to draw, I was actually scared of colour and I wouldn't use colour. Yeah. And now I absolutely adore it. And I'm quite happy being a colourist. I, I always equate it to like being the bass player in a band. You need one. Yes. You don't get the praise. Nobody wants the to do it. The singer gets all the praise, you know. Yeah. And, and maybe the lead guitarist and, you know. What um, tips would you have for people that wanted to do colouring or wanted to start doing colouring that maybe, like yourself, are a bit scared of it at the moment? How do you think is the best way to start? Well, I actually bought a book about colour theory. It's, it's about yay thick. It's not very yeah. thick. Um, and it explains things like colour opposites, warm and cold colours, things like this. Right. Also, I got the DC Comics Guide to Colouring, and I tell this to every single student, whether they go out and buy one or not, it's up to them. Yeah. That book's about £10 on Amazon, and it's right. absolute godsend. It's a little bit old now, but it's not out of date. The stuff they say in there are techniques that I still use. That's it. If a technique is good, then it's going to last the, the yeah. test. Of time. So I do things, I mean, I used to be a printer, so I know that you want your black on the black plate only. Yeah. And underneath it, you will need a uniform grey to back it up. But that's actually what's called choked by two pixels. So it's slightly inside the black. Right. And it's done for a reason. It's a technical reason. If the plate moves or something goes wrong on the printing press, you can end up with little white lines around your black if you've not done it properly. I've seen that on some comics. Now, I always do it properly because that's what I was told by this book. Yeah. And I, I, I insist when I teach colouring on teaching it properly. And I won't let people just colour in RGB merrily and hope their stuff comes out okay, because it might not. That's it. Like I said, I've seen on a number of comics, including some of the sort of mainstream, shall we say, that you'd think are going to be perfect every time. Um, some of the ones that I can think of, uh, like the Wolverine comics, especially at uh, one point, they had issues with the colour on there. Mm. And you'd often see... Um, sort of bleed over or you'd see like that white line around where it should be uh, filled in yeah. uh, it's very off-putting when you're reading it to see that sort of thing you go oh and you almost feel like they didn't care with that one well it's unfortunately it's someone didn't know what they were doing and, and they should know you know if they're going to yeah. be a professional comic book colorist yeah the first thing to do is buy that book and read it 
and understand it. I, I think we'll put a link in the description for that one because, uh, mm. yeah, it, it sounds a good a good uh, book to get and hold beyond, of. Beyond that, I've come up with a few tricks of my own along the way. You know, I've been using Photoshop for over 20 years. Yeah. And I use things like layer masks, um, adjustment layers. Mm -hmm. In, I mean, I can do a whole page and right at the end, I can mutate all the colours in a certain direction. Yeah. Or, or make it look more like it's set at night or something like that, just at the last minute. Yes. Um, and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy the flexibility of Photoshop. That that's one. You know, of good nothing's ever dry until you say that is it. That's the end. You know, I'm done. That's it. I, I like working digitally for that reason that, um, as you say, you can make the alterations and sort of if you suddenly get that change of heart, once you've seen all the art come together, you go, you know what, it would look better if we just did this. Doing it digitally, like in Photoshop or as I use Procreate, which mm. is essentially the same thing, um, just for those that don't know, it, it really does make it a lot easier and a lot more satisfying and you've, you've not got um, the anxiety that comes with it so that if you don't like it slightly or you think it would look better somehow you don't have that anxiety as I say that makes you go oh now I've got to change everything because it's just mm. a little adjustment and it's all done mm. um, it's it's and again really I think this is part of the teamwork process I mean every yeah. time I submit my work to 2000 AD I say I think I'm done with this I think it's all right please can you yeah. check it over and then um, they check it over and they get back it usually is okay yeah, um, but I, I like having someone else's eye on it, and it's not just me because I've probably spent hours and hours looking at these pages, and you can miss things. You know, it's of course it's very easily done. I once coloured Sinister Dexter's car the wrong colour, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not proud of, but I figured it had a respray that week. <laughs> very quickly, I assume. Mm. <laughs> so, what's your favourite cover that you've done to date? If you had to pick one. Oddly, I think it's the first one, the Warrior Nun Brigantia, number one. It's a nun on a bomb with oh, a swastika in the background, which was controversial because apparently you're not allowed to print swastikas these days. Really? So, certainly in Germany, I don't think you are. I, definitely not in Germany, yeah. I know actually on the continent, yeah, actually thinking about it uh, mm. across, like in, even in France. It's just a stunning graphic image. And I, I made the, the cross in the, the Iron Cross in the circle. Yeah. In 3D modelling package, so all the lighting on it is really spiffy. Oh, excellent. Um, and I, I think the bomb I 3D modelled as well, and it was a, it was a real bringing together of all my skills. There was drawing and Photoshop work and 3D modelling, and it, it's something I don't really do anymore. I, I was using a program called Ray Dream Designer a long time ago for okay. 3D modelling things, and I used to use it as a cheat a lot, and it would. It gave me a, a bonus over other people in that my work would have like very real lighting on it. Oh, I see. Um, that I hadn't imagined. I'd just nicked it off the model, but I'd blend it <laughs> together with the drawing. Yeah. And then people would think, God, you're a genius. I'm sorry, bigging myself up again. Um, oh, no. How the hell did you do that? And I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily tell them. So that's it. It's nice to have some secrets. If you, if you hit the nail on the head with something, it's like, no, I'm, I'm keeping that under my shirt so that. Uh, mm. Yeah, I get the next job with it, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, but uh, no, I'd like to do more drawing. I did a drawing the other day for a guy called um, Scott Braden in America. Okay. For his character called Kemp Menace, and Scott's paying me, which is nice. Um, <laughs> I can probably show you it, actually. It's here. Uh, again, I can send you this if you want a 
Yeah, I think um, anybody that's listening to the audio version on Spotify or Anchor or Apple, um, by all means, that's really nice. By all means, um, visit the Facebook page and we'll have watermarked versions of the artwork on there for you to take a look at. Um, they'll be a bit lower res, I think, than what we'll share in this video. But that way, at least you can get to take a look. Um, like I say, there won't be just the full imagery because uh, I don't want anybody pinching it. But there, there will be available for you to take a look at. That's good. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's worth looking at. You, you do some nice work, so uh, it's nice to highlight it. And well, I, I do. I'm starting to feel I should start drawing again. Um, I have got a um, techno freak strip that I'm drawing that features Neville, the sort of bouncer character. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of a third of the way through penciling it. But unfortunately, the laziness gene keeps kicking in, the one that Tom Newell complained about. And, uh, <laughs> Procrastination, yes. Yes, that, I will uh, try and finish it, though, because um, for various reasons, I need to stay in a bit more. So um, I will try and do it. I just actually started. Um, I've been putting it off. I finished writing a script about a month ago for a comic. And uh, I've shown it a couple of people now and they've all gone, that's fantastic. You know, when, when can we read it? And I'm like, I haven't even drawn the first panel yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so last night I, I sat down and roughed out, I think it was two and a half pages um, and the cover. And yeah, it, it's coming along. I've just got 26 more pages to go. Yeah, um, <laughs> you might need a team, my friend. Um, I've yeah, done a thing I, recently for the 77 annual, which is coming out later in the year. Yeah. Uh, which is a Technofreak story with the time travel element to it. Um, John actually goes back to Dickensian times and stuff. It's kind <laughs> of fun. Um, and, yeah, I won't tell you the whole story, but it's drawn no, by no. a friend of mine called Antonio Gonsalves. Or I, I, I always say his surname wrong. I'm sorry, Antonio. You can hate me. <laughs> um, but he's done a blinding job on it. But I actually did layouts for it. He said he doesn't like doing layouts. He wanted some direction. Okay, I can understand. So as well as writing the script solo, I did this one all on my own. Um, so if it's bad, it's my fault. Um, <laughs> and um, Antonio drew it to my layouts. I did some A3 layouts, really scrappy, just doodles of how to break yeah. the page down. But I know how to break pages down in comics. I've been reading comics since I was 12, you know. That's so. it. And um, it's all about balance and giving the big moments their time to shine. So making that panel bigger and stuff. It's, it's all fairly obvious, really, but um... it's it's obvious until you come to to do it. Um, it's one of those. It's all right saying it, but putting it into practice, it can be quite difficult and quite intimidating when you're starting out. Um, and a key lesson I learned very early on from my very first proper editor, who was John Freeman, who I still know, mm -hmm. was to leave space for the word balloons. Yeah, I, I drew a strip for John. I think it was six-page Warhead strip. And I literally didn't leave any room for the word balloons. And he was yeah. wise enough to realise that I was a newbie and, and said, look, John, I'm sorry, but you've got to rub some of this out and do it again because it ain't working. Yeah. We've got nowhere to put the word balloons. It's and, one um, of those that's um, it's very easy to get wrong as well. Like I know that I've started to get into like drawing a panel and I've gone, oh, this is lovely. Yeah, great. And then I've gone, I need to just edge things over a bit or make that slightly smaller so that I can fit in the text that I need on there as well. Um, because it's easy to get carried away as well. It's not just a case of, as you say, being a noob. Um, it's a mistake that it's very easy to make, actually. 
Well, I always rough in the word balloons now when I'm doing layouts. That's what I do. And obviously it's guesswork because you're not quite sure how much space they'll take up, but you need to allow more space than you think, not less. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, it can be quite difficult because you need to realise that the text needs to be big enough to read. Mm. <laughs> and that's one of the issues you get. You go, oh, yeah, that, that'll be enough room. And then you try sort of fitting the text in in a way that actually works, you know, how the text lines up. Mm. And it doesn't always all fit. It can be quite difficult to get it on there. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I come at comics very much from the artist's point of view, and overwriting is anathema to me. I I really don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I, I get to read some Dan Abnett scripts on Sinister Dexter, and they're absolutely beautiful. Um, credit to Dan. I used to work with Dan at Biden Comics, and a great bloke. Um, but, yeah, his scripts are really kind of, like what's called the business, where you describe what happens in the, in yeah. the room, wherever you are, or in, out in the street, wherever you are. Yes. Is is he tells the exa- artist exactly what he needs to show, and he'll, you know, he'll say Finnegan Sinister is coming towards you with his gun out, and in the background we can see the car and this and that. Mm-hmm. And the artist draws it, and Dan trusts the artist to draw it. Excellent. And there'll probably be like two or three words of dialogue. And I, I think that's really good storytelling, that if you can tell a story without overladening the words, you know. Yeah, definitely. That, that's one of the issues. Um, I found it mainly with new comics that, as you say, you get overladen with words. And um, it, it is definitely a new artist, new writer sort of uh, mentality. Mm. Where that they obviously don't have confidence in what they're doing. It, it can be great work still, but... Mm they've sort of second-guessed themselves, and so they've tried sticking more in to explain what's going on. Mm. Uh, it can often ruin what could be an amazing comic. Mm. You don't get to see that art as it should be presented, and it, it takes the flow out of the story. Mm. So what's the story with um, this image here? Let's. Uh... Ah, that's one of my favourites. It's from 1999. It's Tech Head. Okay. Bizarrely, it looks a bit like my dad with all this bizarre headgear on. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I find the background a bit obvious, the zeros and ones thing, but, yeah. you know, I don't think that's what catches your eye. I think it's the actual figure. Yeah, um, yeah it's a really powerful image, I think. I'm proud of it. And um, I just did it. I was, I 3D modeled various bits of the headgear. And again, I've kind of drawn into it. So hopefully it's not so obvious that I've done that. Yeah. Um, and then there's a drawing in there. There's some really rough inking with a felt tip pen. Oh, and it's a combination of a drawing, 3D modelling and Photoshop, which was my thing back then and probably still should be, but isn't at the moment. <laughs> it's a lovely bit of art. Um, it, it, but in a way, it's a precursor to Technofreak. I've, I've always had a fascination with cyborgs. Yeah. And I, I can almost see that as a Technofreak image, even though it's not really. Well, that's why I was asking, because I was like, is it meant to be something to do with John Sherlock, or is it just something that happened? It was, um, it was an experiment, really. It was just something I drew. I, you know. That's fantastic. Like I say, it definitely, you can see your style is in there, especially for like your, your taste in cyborgs, as you say, which eventually came to pass in Technofreak. So that's really interesting, especially for us sat on the outside, like looking in. Mm. Um, well, techno, I think I started developing Techno Freak in my sketchbooks around about that period, but slightly after that drawing was done. Okay. That was never, the, the word Techno Freak was never associated with that drawing, but it probably okay. should be. 
<laughs> Do you think that would maybe be a character that turns up at some point? I don't see why not. I think it, it's a really interesting image. Yeah. Uh, like the, the cable going into the back of the head and then everything that's sort of coming out. It almost looks like uh, cybernetic dreadlocks coming out of the forehead. Um, yeah. it, it's very much a case of it, it makes you wonder what's going on. Mm. It's very strong like that. Um, I, I think images like that are cool. And I see him as someone that's sort of sat in a sort of seedy little room somewhere that they go to, you know, to to get their information from. Yeah, sort of cyber jacking sort of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know what you mean, yeah. It has actually been used. It was used on a sort of fan comic in America. Okay. A long time ago, and I can't remember what that was called, I'm afraid, because <laughs> I'm getting old now and I can't remember anything. <laughs> we also have an image of, this is a character that some people might recognise. Um, I'll hold him up. Yeah, again, it was an experiment. Um, oh, okay. I mean, it was done around about the time of the first Iron Man movie. You can probably tell because of the thing in the background. Yeah, the arc reactor. Um, but again, it's a 3D model. All, all that beautiful lighting is lifted off of an actual fairly bad 3D model that I made. Oh, wow. Um, and then you draw it. I mean, a lot of that was inked in Photoshop. So yeah. I do things like make a path and put a stroke onto the path. So the lines are kind of perfect, which is something I'd always strived for by hand, but never been able to achieve. So yeah. in many ways, Photoshop saved my bacon as an artist because... It allows me ways forward that I can't achieve by hand, you know. I see what you mean, yeah. For me, like, I don't personally get on with Photoshop. I did another diploma in it last year, and it's great. It works fine. Um, but sort of, I'm not sure. Just for me personally, like, things aren't laid out how I like them. Mm. Whereas Procreate, it's all just set out how I like it. I think it's what you know. I mean, I, I used yeah. to work as a graphic designer and I was introduced to Photoshop by a colleague who would sit next to me and I'd pick his brain every time I had a problem, you know. Yeah, that's it. Um, and that was so useful to, to have someone, because it's very easy. I always say to people, it does what it says on the tin and yeah. it's not a difficult right. program to learn, but there are a few wrinkles that you need to know. There's, there's certain things, yeah, that it's like, that could be easier. <laughs> hmm. I worked at Warsaw Council for a time in the graphics department um, on their sort of uh, yearly calendar that they used to bring out. And we had to use Photoshop for that. And I, I just never took to it. It was one of those, I could use it. And as I say, I've done a couple of times where I've gone on and done brief courses, diplomas and all this, just to top up because every now and again, it does get a fairly big update. And if you've not been in the system for a time, then you're not gonna know how it works. Well, they've changed things over time, like the scaling function doesn't work the way it used to. Exactly. And so I like to go and every now and again do a refresher course. Um, but I, I just can't take to it. It's one of those that, yeah, I can use it, but I don't like using it. Um, do you know Procreate pretty well then? Because I, my friend Antonio uses Procreate and he's told me things about that that are just amazing. Yeah, that's like you, can, like you can draw a line and then hold it for a while and it will steady the line up. Yeah, it'll it'll either steady it up or it'll turn it to a straight line or you can tell it to turn it to a circle, an ellipse, mm -hmm. anything. Um, I believe Clip Studios got similar features. And again, I, 
it has perhaps, perhaps me being a dinosaur but i know i can achieve things in photoshop so I, that's how i do it Honestly, um, I, I probably should learn how to use clip studio but you know clip studio i don't i don't think it's quite as advanced as procreate mm. um procreate it, it's very natural how it does certain things um they've taken out a couple a couple of elements with the last updates which annoyed me because they were really great elements for especially for um, doing the color work on mm. things like altering the opacity and such for colors and actual whole layers so you mm, can have like black, black gray or however you want it right down to zero uh, opacity is almost vital it's like when i do shadows on someone's face yeah i'll probably overcook them and then i just drop the layer down until it looks right that's exactly how i used to do with procreate mm. and they've removed it you can still do it but it's now a number of functions instead of just being one tab that you press. Mm. Um, so I, th I think that was a bit of a mistake. It'll probably get rectified in the next update. Um, but it, other than that, it's a really, really simple program to use. Well, I've used uh, some, a really kind friend of mine called Gavin actually gave me an iPad a while ago with a, the pen and everything, and I've got Procreate on there. Yeah, and it is a beautiful program. You know, you can Fantastic. do sketchy stuff. You know. And, yeah you know you can do neat stuff as well it's it's you can you can do and i mean you can even add add in all the text do time lapses of all of your work oh that's fun yeah i like doing those yeah i do mm. it's just great to sort of sit there and do it and like i actually then go and speed it up in um like iMovie or something as well so you can get like a, a five minute clip that you've done because if you spent a few hours on it it will condense it to about five minutes and i'll happily just sort of tinkle along until it's done in about 20 seconds mm. so it, the image just really quickly appears and that that's cool to play with so we've got a few more images to go over again someone that is quite recognizable to a number of people um would that be yeah experiment? I'm, re I'm really proud of that one to be honest it's beautiful one of my favorite comic i believe it's issue 231 of adventure comics it might be 431 yeah uh, by jim aparo where the spectre is actually melting this guy and he's kind of stood there it's really cool and it's a savage image it is it's beautiful there's echoes of neil adams in the original and i just tried to do it my way mm -hmm. so i've basically taken the brief for the cover of that and then rejigged it that yeah. is actually two pieces okay um, the character in the foreground, I've, I've borrowed bits from J.C. Leyendecker, who's my favourite artist, like the trousers I sold. Right. If you will, don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> um, and then I merged the whole thing in Photoshop and put some lighting effects in and stuff. But what I like about that particular picture is, is the dynamism and the mm. energy in the background. There's all these broad brown paint strokes that are sort of speed lines, you know. Yeah, it, it, it definitely has. As you say, that emotion, energy, it looks like it's in movement, mm. uh, in motion constantly. Mm. Uh, and it, it's a really nice image. The light coming in, that directs you one way. And the lines that sort of come off the uh, cape and everything, that they direct you to sort of one side of the image. It's it's fantastic. Thank you. Unfortunately, it hasn't got a home because it effectively belongs to DC Comics, but there we go. Of course, but <laughs> it's nice to have sort of the fan art occasionally, you know? Yeah, well, I do, you know, over the years, I've, I was a comics fan and still am to an extent, you know. Exactly. Uh, and I'll, I'll draw something for fun occasionally, you know, why not? 
We have as well one of your uh, covers for Judge Dredd. I think that was an IDW cover, is that correct? It was. I happen to have the actual comic here. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's got its logo on. Yeah, um, I sent that into 2000 AD and they didn't want it, um, which is fair enough. Um, so fair I sent it to point. IDW and they did want it. So I got did, paid for that one. Did 2000 AD ever tell you why they don't want images? Is there any sort of rhyme or reason? I suspect it was a bit too generic or something that, that you know, they've probably got images that fit with stories. And I, you know, I'd love them to brief me on an image that fits with the story so I could do what they want again. You know? Yeah. So at the moment, as a sort of, you know, on occasion, I've sent in images and sort of, thought, you know, hoped it would get published. And I know the other artists have done this as well and been published. Yes. Um, but mine don't seem to hit the fan at the moment. So. No, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> I would love to do another 2000 AD cover before I die. So. I'm sure you'll get chance, don't worry. Mm. We also have, you were talking about it earlier, the mutated version of uh, Tech. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm really proud of that image. I had a friend pose for that, a friend of mine called Malcolm. Oh, really? And the, the alley is an alley in Farnham. So okay. there's an element of photography in there. And, and I see it now you've said it. Mm. Um, but it's trying to blend it all together so it, it looks like it all belongs together rather than it being dodged together from three different things. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. There may well be a 3D model in, in the head. I can't honestly remember because the lighting on that head is pretty powerful, I think. And um, It is. It's very powerful. I, I doubt I made it up. I'd say looking at least at the reflective lighting on it, um, given like comparison to the other images you've shown, I'd say that you possibly did use some. 3D modelling on it, mm. but I wouldn't say it's, it's a definite. Um, it's very sketchy. If you look at what you know, what you might call the inking in it, it's actually yeah. really loose. I, but I like I that. Like that. I, you know, gives it some energy, sort of thing. It, you know, so. it, it gives it energy, and it gives it um, almost a bit of character in the way that it makes the character look sketchy along with it. Mm. You sort of you're quite fearful of this one. It, it, it looks quite nightmarish. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of your other work is, is very refined and calm. Mm. Well, that's actually found a home. That's the alternative cover to the American edition of Technifreak number one. Oh, brilliant. Which is a bit illogical because, you know, it's part of Technifreak's history. It doesn't fit. It, that's not John Sherlock at all, is it? You know? No, it's not. It's not. Although we can but hope that. Uh, at some point, he'll have to take a, a a morphing into that for a brief period, at least. That would be cool. Mm. Well, it, it may be oh, part of Technifreak's future. I don't know. I mean, I haven't mapped out Technifreak's future, and I don't intend to. I intend to just write stories that are fun. Yeah, that's it. That's the best way to keep it. I like this image, though. I like how you've got, like, um, cybernetic hands as well that are, like, claw-like. Mm. You can see the tendons in the back of the hands. and Yeah, for me, it's got a slight Victorian feel as well. It's very Victorian feel, yeah. It's mm. very Jack the Ripper, mm. uh, especially with the coat that he's wearing. Mm. And I think also the, the slightly haunched over, um, it, it, it's the pose and everything. It's um, very... It's a bit Nosferatu or something, isn't it? Nosferatu. Again, it's an image that I always loved, the old film Nosferatu. Yeah. It's just fantastic vampire. Phantom of the Opera, all that sort of thing. It makes me, you know, the Lon um, Chaney version. Yeah. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, exactly. I once, there used to be a TV show called 
James Burke's connections. Okay. And he pointed out that virtually every scientific invention is actually a recombination of existing things. Yes. And I think Techno Freak is very much that. It's a pastiche to an extent. It's 1930s, it's old comics, it's the Fantastic Four, which I, happened by accident. But we've got four key characters. You know. That's and, it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I... You know, it'd be lovely to think you've created something unique that no one's ever done before, but I think that's a very big ask. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not at all easy to um, to hit that one. Like mm. to, to make something that no one has ever done, it's mm. very unlikely. Mm. We do have another image of Techno Freak to pop up. Yeah, that's by me. That's before the comic ever happened. Oh, really? I thought that might be yeah. new, actually. No, it's when I created my. I, don't, I once drew six pages of Techno Freak. A friend of mine sponsored me to draw them. Yes. And they were coloured by Yelza Moore because mm-hmm. um, he was saying, You need a team done. You're not going to get this done on your own. Yeah. And he was actually paying me to do it. And in, in the end, the laziness gene kicked in and I just stopped, <laughs> which is terrible. But maybe the time was wrong or something. I don't know. Maybe I, something in, I was in touch with knowing when it needed doing, you know. Exactly. But interesting, if you check that out, the robotic eye on Technofreak is on the wrong eye. I, I had noticed, yeah. Well, arguably Tom put it on the wrong eye because technically that one's correct. Because I yeah, it. technically this <laughs> one, so that one's right. <laughs> but it's interesting that something as simple as that, the eye, gives you a recognisable character. I and mean, I, I sometimes oh, teach about character design at Staffs Uni. Yeah. And you need to do something with a face to give it a hook. Yes. You know, with Nick Fury, it's the eye patch. You know, you can even change Nick Fury's character and it's still Nick Fury from the eye patch. Exactly. As they've done, the the Nick Fury of the 90s, it was the David Hasselhoff version, really, you know. Yeah. Of course, they substituted him. I think it was in, uh, it wasn't wasn't just in Civil War. I'm sure there was a comic before that where it it became a Samuel L. Jackson inspired. It's in the Ultimates, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Brian Hitch, yeah. Yeah, and he just wanted to draw him as Sam Jackson, which mm. is a play because it, it really works. Um, and the day and that's happened. interesting, isn't it, in terms of life imitating art? Mm. Yes, very much so. It was like, that was perfect. Mm. <laughs> it, like I say, it's definitely worked for the movies as well. Mm. Well, Samuel L. Jackson's got such gravitas, hasn't he? Such a presence. Yeah. yeah. He, you wouldn't think, though, I mean... The MCU, it's quite child-friendly in a lot of respects. It's family-friendly, at least. Mm. And you don't usually associate that term with Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's certain words that pop into your head that you can imagine him saying, and you're like, yeah, I don't, the kids can't hear that. (laughs) You know? I know what you're saying, and I'm not going to say it. You're not going to tell me. Exactly. No, no, totally. It's like, yeah, he's fantastic. Um, and he's perfect for the part, and you wouldn't have expected him to be, more to the point. Um, I, I love the guy. I've been a fan of his since I saw Pulp Fiction. Now, I'd, I'd seen, I believe he was in True Romance before Pulp Fiction. I may be wrong there. Um, which I, I saw them as they came out, absolutely loved them. Mm. Um, but that role that he's got as Jules in Pulp Fiction, it was like he commands the screen, like, yeah. John Travolta, this actor that's been about for however long at that point, and, and Bruce Willis and all these others, like 
fantastic actors. Mm. But you remember the Sam Jackson moments. He's quotable in that. And so to pick him for Nick Fury, it's like, yeah, you're getting quotable Nick Fury as well now in the MCU. And it, it's fantastic. Mm. Um, so, yeah, as you say, giving characters that one element that makes them recognisable is very important and really mm. does help them. But it's a comic artist thing. You, you, Yeah. You know, if you can recognise your character just from their face, you're on to a winner. Exactly, exactly. Now, if you can't, I think you've got a problem because, you know. Yeah. That's the thing, though. I mean, that's why masks came into a lot of comic characters, isn't it? Because a lot of the time, the artists not necessarily couldn't draw the face, but they couldn't draw it quickly the same all the time. Mm. Um, I do notice, now, it may not be an actual case of this, but in my opinion, he's got some Bruce Campbell vibes. No oh, right, I, I never thought of it. But, uh, if you if you check out that chin, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, it, it's a bit Bruce Campbell. I remember uh, working on that chin. That's about the third version of the chin. <laughs> it, it, it is the chin. It's yeah. So he's got a slightly I, swollen cranium as well, which has got echoes of the Technofreak monster. Yeah, you know because yeah. he has got a computer implanted in his head, so his head yeah. is bigger than it should be. No, it, that doesn't come up. Re- it, of course, it does in the story, but I mean, you don't see it in the character of um, John Sherlock. No, we, we deliberately didn't do an origin story, and we, at the moment, we don't really want to. Yeah, I can understand that. You know, the obvious origin is some sort of super soldier program, and we're just not going down that road. It's been worn too far. See, I've got ideas for what his origins are. It's not super soldier. It, it's more like backstreet, like trying to uh, get ahead of things kind of thing. And well, if you, I can give you my explanation if you want, I suppose. Yes. Um, basically, I figured there'd be a fad in the future for implants of technology rather than just tattoos. Yeah. Um, and the problem is it didn't work. It drove people insane. The, the only reason John can handle his tech is that he drinks so much and he, he calms the pain in his head. Right. Which is like a very Sherlock Holmes character sort of thing. Yeah. He used to smoke morphine, you know. Do you smoke morphine? I don't know. I don't do drugs. Um, but, um, you know, there, there is an element of John Sherlock being a very flawed character. He's not actually that nice. You know, yeah. He's right. not Superman. He's not Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. He's, he's quite dark. And I, I, I actually want to do a story that's not as funny as most of the Technifreak stories. And I keep nudging in that direction. I'm... I'm, I'm in issue four, I'm sorry about this, the readers, but Maurice backs off a bit. Okay. He's in it, but it's much more about someone else. Um, yeah. And I, I want that. I want to be able to tell different stories. Much as you can with Judge Dredd, you can do a comedy story, and then you can do a story like Democracy, where everything's dead yeah. serious and really political. Yeah. I think, and, that, um, I think that's necessary. Um, otherwise, you're just going to sort of end up recycling constantly um yeah, the, the we can't re- have marie's gags from here to kingdom come it's, there's got to be something else yeah exactly mm. uh, that change of tempo that's what keeps the readers coming back because they of course um they don't know what's coming next mm. and that that's very important if you've just got the same feeling to every issue mm. it does get old quite quickly well, you've probably read issue three i suspect I have read issue three, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ending's rather bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> um, it is, but 
I mean, when you consider it, the whole sort of the whole story of Techno Greek is quite bizarre in its own way, especially mm. since you've got a talking cat. <laughs> People love that cat, though. I don't really do. Like I say, you can really see why as well. And I think um, I think it's something that needs to keep going. Like we, we hope to get a lot more of Techno Freak. Good. Well, as I say, issue four is nearly done. It's just a question of who's going to publish it, really. So yeah, um, and it will happen soon. Yeah. I, I really do hope so. Um, there is one last image that I wanted to talk to you about before we go. Go on. Ah, page from Techno Freak Four. Is that where it's from? Mm. Right. There, there seems to be John Sherlock doesn't seem to be feeling too well in this one. Yeah, he's not very well. Someone shot him in the face. <laughs> Is that what happened? Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> it's lovely art though. I like that top down uh, mm. right from the get go. Well, Tom's a genius. He every time he does a page, it's surprise. I send him a script, obviously, and um, he comes back with stuff I'm not expecting, and it, it's amazing. It's great. And I, I let him have his head, you know, I, mean, I sound like a big head now, but um, <laughs> he does. Uh, I'm very much a team player and, and I want my people to do what they want to do, not necessarily what I want them to do. That's it. That's it. Um, so there have been things, for example, in issue four, there are some what are described as attack helicopters that are actually jets now. They're not right. helicopters at all. And it's like, it doesn't really matter. It's not the end of the world. And Tom's, you know, they've done his thing and he's happy. Yeah. So. It's important that everyone's happy, you know. That's it. That's the main key to it. Like, if everybody works together and is happy with the end result, mm. you're onto a winner because that that allows you to keep on turning things out. If there's um, that butting of heads, at some point somebody walks, and that's when things go wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want Technofreak to continue. I and mean, to be honest, we do need to start making some more money out of it for it to continue. We're we're oh. probably going to have to run an Indiegogo campaign for issue four. Right. Um, um, but that's, again, this is all in the lap of the gods. These things are sort of ongoing in my head at the moment. Yeah. Um, Any idea uh, about when that would be? Not really, no. Me next month or two, hopefully. Okay, so before Christmas, hopefully. I would think so, yeah. I mean, historically, we've used Kickstarter, but you absolutely have to meet your target on Kickstarter. And I'm a bit concerned about people getting Kickstarter fatigue with us. Yeah, I'll get you. Um, we didn't kickstart issue two. I paid for that. Yeah, sorry. Um, and um, we did kickstart issue three, and we're, we're probably going to have to do four as well, because fact is I haven't got any money. So, you know, <laughs> Patreon. Yeah. Um, like I say, send us links, um, and it doesn't matter when it is, we'll always publish them to the page, publish them to um, the comment mm. section of YouTube, and link them in Spotify and such as well, where we can. Mm. And get the 77 annual, which will be out soon. And okay. we're in there with another Techno Freak story. So there are things happening. I, I hope to finish off my Neville story soon. Um, yeah. Just a question of whipping myself a bit and actually sitting down and drawing, you know. But, uh, <laughs> it's got to be done. It has. It has. It, it can be. Sometimes it'll be like a, a need to get on with that. And other times you've got the need that you can't put down the pen you know well my feeling is things reach a turning point and i've done so much work on that already that i'd be a fool not to finish it you know? that's it it's um there's there's been a lot happening with it and uh it, as i say for us readers especially it needs to carry on we uh we do enjoy it 
And my um, association with Staffs Uni continues. I'm going to be doing some lectures for them remotely soon. Oh, we keep cherry picking their talent, which is kind of funny. So uh, we've got a new colorist called Tate, um, yeah. quite a long surname, which I can't remember. So sorry, <laughs> Tate. Um, but Tate is doing the most amazing work for us um, and making my life easier as a colorist. I'm kind of teaching Tate along the way a little bit, but Tate doesn't need to learn a lot. Really talented person. Brilliant. So, um, you know, hopefully we can keep that association going as well. That's it. And again, it's all about teamwork. You know, if I can build more people on our team and, you know, we can do more things. You know? Exactly. Mm. Well, it's been brilliant, John. Thank you ever so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been a nice talk. Yeah, I've enjoyed it myself. I hope it comes across and I haven't stuttered too much. No, no, not at all. It's been uh, it's been really great talking to you and you've given us a lot to uh, a lot to use and a lot to think about. So that was John Charles. Um, known him for a while, he's a good friend of mine, or at least I consider him to be a good friend. Um, as you heard, we like beer. <laughs> and yeah, he, he was very kind in coming on the show for me. Um, I'm trying to do it so that we get a few interactions with comic book artists. Like, I think next week we'll either have someone from 2008 or Speed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, people seem to be responding to the whole idea of us doing interviews with comic book artists. We are going to be looking at movie artists, special effects artists, um, so you know, actors, special effects artists, um, writers, producers. I, I want to try and get sort of behind the scenes with a lot of stuff. Um, the sort of stuff that you don't really get to hear too much on. Mm -hmm. I'd like it if you guys sent in questions um, that you'd like answering just about any industry in geeky culture, whether it's toys or whatever, um, gaming. If you've got anything that you've always wondered, send it in. Like, you know, well, how do they do X effect? You know, um, how does green screen actually work? That sort of thing. Uh, whatever interests you. How do you get into comics? Um, anything. Start sending in some questions, like people that you'd like me to interview, um, ideas that you'd like answering, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, let's make the show interesting by you telling us what you want to see, mm -hmm. or hear, in this case, because it is really a podcast. Yeah. Yes, we're on YouTube and Facebook videos, but we're a podcast. Primarily audio, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're trying to go for, something that you can take with you and listen to um, on the go rather than something you've got to sit in front of a computer screen or mobile phone, whatever. Like, we stream straight through the TV. Like, there's a YouTube app, and it's like watching a TV channel. I found out a lot of people don't do that. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, that that's like, I've, I've passed a few TVs, we've just had it built in, oh, so it's like, oh, you click YouTube on. And a lot of people still just watch YouTube on their phone, um, which I, I was never able to do. I could never get into the idea of sitting there. Yeah, that is true. It is, watching my phone. It has been a case of as soon as the app came on the smart TV, that's when we started. YouTube. Yeah, that's when we used YouTube. Before yeah. that, no interest really. Like, yeah, okay, there's a new trailer. We'll check YouTube for it. We've watched the trailer. Done. Um, but otherwise, we didn't bother with it because it's that thing on your phone. Uh, I know people use their switch for it. I don't get that. Like the phone is a 4K screen, 
and the same size as a Switch screen. Switch is 720p. Why use Switch? Use your phone. Like, or, or again, TV. And one of the things was, yeah, but I've got my Switch with me when I'm out and about. It's like, yeah, but you need your phone to yeah. get this You've internet on your Switch. Connect via your phone, which, so you take out your phone, you turn on your internet hotspot, then you put your phone away and take out your Switch and then connect back to your phone so you can watch YouTube that was just on the on phone you just put away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, like you, you've not got the resolution, you've not got the um, the, the colour clarity that you've got with, like if you've got an iPhone or something as well, mm. with Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos and everything built in, why would you use the Switch? Just Can, yeah. you, can somebody answer that if they do that? Like, let me know. Because I don't get it. <laughs> like especially like we've got iPad and all that sort of thing um, and big screen you know I'd, I'd rather I'd rather have a good presentation like whatever I'm watching I'd rather see it in the best quality always available of course um, and yeah the same with like the comics thing as Pat and I were saying last week there's people that do read comics on their mobile phone and I'm like I couldn't get on with that because like yeah like some panels you wouldn't even get to like half the size that they're meant to be in the physical presentation which is like that's the go-to that artists use we assume that like okay this is the size that people will be reading at so you're really like on that that, that presentation size, which mm -hmm. I don't think you get in the proper experience then. Um, and maybe that's why some people are like, that comic sucked. Possibly, you know? yeah. Because we're getting a lot of people doing the digital thing rather than the physical thing now. Yes, comic book shops are coming back, but I don't know. It's weird. Whatever. Anyway, why little screens over big screens? Somebody tell me. <laughs> There's not much more... That we need to talk about. Um, like I say, next week we'll have another guest. Not sure which one we'll go for. As I say, we'll be looking at getting some movie stars on, um, some effects people on, some producers. We will be talking to people in the gaming industry. Um, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll be. I've got a few different contacts. Um, I've done game testing, like since two thousand and six. I've done Tomb Raider. Some of the Star Wars games, Assassin's Creed, um, the Walking Dead games. I've done a lot of game mm -hmm. testing, actually, um, over the years. I've got another fairly big game test coming up shortly. I'm not allowed to talk about it yet, but I'm really looking forward to that <laughs> one. Um, that's a big one. Yeah, it, it's, some, again, something that I've always found interesting for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to get some uh, other industry professionals, shall we say, to talk with us. I, I do know somebody that used to work at Crisis. I don't know if they still do. But they worked on, like, Robinson the Journey and Crisis 3 and this sort of thing. Um, so, like, Crytek Studios. They're, they're a pretty big name in the industry. If we can get them on, that'd be cool. But let us know the sort of people that you'd like to hear. Also, we're coming up to Halloween. So we're going to be doing a lot of Halloween stuff. We mentioned Elvira already. Um, remember, September 27th on Shudder. Go check her out. 
Um, she's got a memoir coming out. Yeah, she has got memoirs coming out. Next week or something like sometime that. Sometime soon. Yeah. She's got her memoirs coming out. Um, sure, yeah. I'm gonna get the. We've got to get that. Yeah, I, I need that one. Yeah, I've already got it pre-ordered. Don't worry. <laughs> Cheesy green. Um, yeah. Big fan of Elvira and always have been. We watched mm -hmm. Elvira Mistress of the Dark again last night. Yeah, the um, box is literally there. Yeah, but it, it's right there. Might go on again later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's one of those movies. Uh, but yeah, there's... They are releasing um, Elvira's Haunted Hills on physical form. I'm yes, sure they've done a 4K master, haven't 4K? they? No, they've done a 4K master. I'm not sure whether that means that it's going to release in 4K. Yeah, I saw that there's, there's a one releasing... Mm -hmm. Soonish. Mm -hmm. um, Ooh, Evil Dead, the Fede Alvarez one. Um, that is getting its uncut release. I oh, believe yeah. it's at, at theatres the, first. Yeah, and it'll be the first time that it's officially released. ITV messed up. A, it's a TV channel in the UK. They messed up a few years back and they played when like doing the premiering of like the, the television version. Um, they actually aired the uncut edition, which no it's got a different ending, yeah. like a very different ending, and no one had seen it anywhere, and they immediately took it down. You can't find it anywhere, but they're sort of bringing that out now um, in theatres first. I don't know whether it's going to get any kind of digital release. I really hope so. Mm. Um, don't Breathe 2, that's either just come out or about to come out again. Don't Breathe is a fantastic movie by Freddy Alvarez mm -hmm. with Stephen Lang. So tense, and Stephen oh, Lang's amazing in that. Yeah, and it's there's this beautiful scene. It's about 20 minutes long where nobody speaks. It's yeah. just a silent movie. It's the but most like, intense oh, thing in it. It's intense, but it's also beautiful. Like, yes. There's a death scene in it, and the way that it's done, it's, it's almost like those classic romance movies. Um, like where the, the guy sweeps up the girl in his arms. It, it, it's shot very much like that from like the 1940s to 1960s. Mm. It's, it's done so well. And if you, you sort of looked at it outside of being this horror movie, if you just saw that clip, you could assume actually that it's actually a romance mm. that you're watching. It's so beautiful, the lighting and like the cinematography the art direction, everything in that movie is just on point. Yeah. Um, even the editing is just perfect. There's some horrible moments in it that really do turn your stomach. Yes. Um, which is it great. never misses a beat though, that film. No, it's it always doesn't. always bang it, on point. It, it's, yeah. It's one that gets your pulse pounding. Mm -hmm. um, there's not been much in the way of Oculus Quest this week. Uh, Brink has come out now. Um, which is, for those that don't know, Brink, um, it allows you to go and visit anywhere in the world that's on Google Maps, essentially, and take a very high-definition look at the area. So you can go and see the Grand Canyon, because it's in VR. You can actually like walk around, and you can even pick up a stone and throw it. and Absolutely beautiful. Um, well worth picking up. I think it's about £7.99, so about $10. Worth a look. Um, there's not much else that's happened this week in Oculus um, that's really like, wow. Plenty happened last week, not this week. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, Orville. Oh, The Orville season three is confirmed March, 2022. We knew that they were working on it, March gone, but 
it's now got a sort of release window. Yeah. Um, very happy about that. We've got the comics. We've watched the show like quite religiously. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's perfect because it's like Star Wars and Star Trek with humour. And that's like, yeah, I can just chill out to that all yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Really uh, anything else? There's no Star Wars news really. Knights of the Old Republic is coming to Switch. Mm -hmm. That's that's good news. Um, I own that game about 65 times. So it'll now be 66 yeah, times. 66 is fine. Um, well, 67, I need a copy as well. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, there's there's not much else to really do. Let's talk about Alan Wake comes out next week. Um, that's always interesting. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, the remaster. I, I played it the day it came out. Actually, I think I got it a couple of days early, but shh. Um, <laughs> As soon as it came out, I picked up Alan Wake and absolutely loved it. And now they're remastering it. I've already got it pre-ordered on PS5. Um, I know it's out on Series X. I think it's out on Switch as well. I don't think... Like, if you haven't played it before and you've only got a Switch, yeah. grab it on Switch. But otherwise, if you've got an Xbox One, you may as well grab the Xbox 360 version for how the Switch version is going to run. Mm. It's going to be at 720p on the Switch if you're playing in handheld, and I think 900p in docked. Um, it's 1080p on the Xbox One, upscaled to 4K. So you may as well. Yeah. Like It's going to be like £3, I think it is, on Xbox One, if you don't already own it. It's going to be £30 on Switch. Unless you really want that handheld experience, and because it's a scary game that's like lights out and stuff, it doesn't really translate too well for handheld experiences either. Like Alien Isolation, I've played a bunch of times, I've played that on Switch. It's great because I like the geek out factor, but you don't get any of the scare moments because it's tiny. Mm. And the same would be said for Alan Wake. You're going to yeah. miss out on a lot Definitely. playing that in handheld mode. If it's the only way you've got to play it, fair enough. It's still a game that you should experience because it's absolutely it's, brilliant. It's beautiful. It's a really great game yeah but if you've got ps5 or xbox series x or even xbox one get it on those platforms yeah rather than switch if you're a bit undecided um i think that's october 7th that comes out don't quote me october 5th to 10th somewhere in that window um 24 pounds 99 or around about 30 dollars well worth it mm -hmm. um Speaking of Switch, you've reminded me they're re-releasing um, Aladdin and Lion King. Yes, and Jungle, Jungle Book. This time with the SNES versions of the games as well. Yes. I think that's out now. Is it out now? Or? I think I think it's soon. Yeah, it's very soon if it's not out now. Um, I have the original cartridge that they bought out, which was just Aladdin and the Lion King. Mm -hmm. That gets a lot of play. It was the Genesis-only version mm -hmm. on there, and like remasters of it, so a final cut that had the bugs removed, or a normal one that was just the actual port straight from Genesis to Switch. So you've still got all those lovely bugs that you can like A, B, B, A, A, B, B, A, up, down, start. Um, or whatever that cheat was that gave you 54 lives. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, well worth picking up uh, again. I think it's about 29.99 something for that. Three games, beautiful Disney games on a cart with various versions for you to experience because they are quite different, the SNES and Genesis versions. And then you've got the final cuts of them as well, so you've got different versions again. Mm. So it's, it's like having nine games. 
yeah for that money definitely um i'd really stress picking it up yeah that's that's pretty much it I think that's about it yeah there's not no much more. happened in the world of toys or anything this week no announcements from sideshow really that are worth like shouting home about yeah that's that's gonna do us um i think coming into october we're gonna be doing some uh live streams um both of gaming and maybe like some horror movie like join us kind of things so mm. by all means jump in and like I'll, I'll put links on the page. As I said, there's going to be links on the Facebook page for all of the artwork that we mentioned in the video as well. So if you can't get to watch it on YouTube and want to check out the art, come to our Facebook page. Yeah. Check it out there. Okay. Yeah. So with that, we look forward to hearing from you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye.